0: Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free.
2: Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm again, And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives.
1: Hey. Hello. Hi. Hello there. We went at the same time. Uh. That's okay. It's fine. Just (laughs) let
2: it go. Let it ride. Thank God for editing, right? It it
1: humanizes (laughs) us. I'm leaving all of that in. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Well, we are starting off Pride Month, everybody. Happy Pride Month to everyone. Happy Pride. And I am so excited to be talking about this today because I remember both of us, really enjoying discussing this topic when we talked about the second wave like what three years ago now two years ago however long it's been three. i I remember talking about this and saying i want a lavender menace shirt and being like oh they're so cool you know but i didn't really look into you know how it began or any more of the story so i'm glad that we are going to be discussing the lavender menace today
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we did, as Madigan said, we briefly touched on this when we talked about our second wave feminism episode, because it was a turning point in the second wave. You know, it was a push towards more inclusion and more diversity, more intersectionality within Mm -hmm. the women's liberation movement. Because up until this point, as we've spoken about many, 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 many times, Every wave of feminism, of course, has pushed to be more inclusive, but the first and second waves specifically were very predominantly white and middle class. white
1: I was going to say white upper middle class women, for the most part, that had a very And heterosexual women. Heterosexual women, yes. Mm -hmm. They had a very specific idea of the rights that they wanted. And I think that there was also a majority of these women. You know, I don't think there were that many out women who were comfortable in the feminist movement. And we'll discuss why. And, you know, a lot of people credit the beginning of the the second wave of feminism to Betty Friedan. And Mm -hmm. it is Betty Friedan. Betty Friedan. Jeez. Who'd that be? (laughs) And it was Betty Friedan. who first referred to the quote-unquote lesbian problem as the lavender menace because she had this idea that lesbians would be the downfall of the feminist movement and that the presence of lesbian women distracted from their goals of gaining full social and economic rights for women. She was afraid of the stereotypes of them being, you know, mannish or man-hating was going to hurt their political future in the movement. Right.
2: I mean, because at this time, and even now today, I mean, we get some very nasty messages on our feminist social media accounts, but a lot of them tend to, focus on feminists as these man haters these um, misandrists and oftentimes they will say in a derogatory manner that feminists are all lesbians and that's yeah. why that's why feminists quote-unquote hate hate men, men so much which doesn't even make any sense uh but i do think that Her homophobia was showing, of course. But in addition to that, she really wanted to dispel this idea that feminism or feminists were man-hating in any way, right? And so in order to do that, she thought that it was best to distance herself or distance the movement from lesbian issues and lesbian rights. But I can only imagine how isolating this must have felt to... Lesbian feminists at this time, because yeah. they were coming out of an era, or in some places, in many places, were still in you know areas in the United States where their sexuality was not only looked down upon but actually criminalized. Like, well, that.
1: let's let's think about this because it was in 1969 when Betty Friedan referred to the, again, lesbian problem as the Lavender Menace, 1969 is the same year as the Stonewall Riots. Mm-hmm. So if we think about it in that context, there there were no gay rights, there were no lesbian rights, and then a lot of these women also were part of the gay liberation front, which was very focused on gay men and didn't leave a lot of room for the lesbian women within its group. So a lot of these feminist lesbians felt like they had nowhere to go. And a lot of them were actually working for Betty Friedan's now organization, the National Organization of Women, and were fired or left in solidarity because of their sexuality, because Betty was trying to distance herself so much from lesbians right so
2: the women's movement had kind of coined this phrase saying that the personal is political right which is a great phrase great slogan however that cannot ring more true than for people whose you know class or race or sexuality are kind of intrinsically tied to who they are exactly And, and so for them you know there were a lot of lesbian feminists who were working inside of now and they were saying hey you know our slogan is the personal is political this is part of who i am it's who i was born as can we start working towards rights for lesbians because we you know rights for women we're women yeah. right yeah and well, they were told by now leader betty for and other senior members of the organization that it was too soon To begin fighting for lesbian rights and that it would make it harder to win other feminist victories. And when we talked about the second wave, I said that I had watched the movie. She's beautiful when she's angry, which is great feminist documentary. Uh I highly recommend that everybody watch it. But even in that you have these kind of prominent feminist voices these heterosexual women white women middle class women Uh who are saying even at the time that that film was made which is in the 21st century yeah that they were concerned they thought it was too soon they were like we need to focus on one thing at a time it's very reminiscent of the abolitionists or the um Rather, the women's rights activists of the first wave who yes. felt that way about abolition. It's it's too soon. One thing at a time. Uh-huh. We can't fight for your rights right now. We'll get to it eventually. That kind yeah, of yeah. Let us
1: let the first you know wave, I guess, to call it of women get their rights, and then we're gonna fight for your rights after that. When they were like, no, like we deserve to be a part of this too. And that's the thing that's so upsetting because something like your identity could make you lose. A job position, make you lose your sense of security, your sense of home. Because for a lot of people, and for a lot of lesbian women, I should say in in particular, this was a place that they had initially felt very welcomed Mm -hmm. and heard. And should have felt safe. Exactly. They should not have been concerned about them being turned away. So the fact that Betty Friedan did turn against them. I mean, it was a huge point of contention within the women's liberation movement. It was a huge point of contention um within now and um right. I mean, and um, unfortunately, I think the unfortunate thing is
2: that Betty Friedan didn't even turn against them so much as she was never for them. And like, yeah. I think that that's really difficult whenever you enter into the space, you're so excited about these new opportunities. You know, in that documentary, they show, I rewatched the, the part of that documentary where they talk about the lavender menace and uh-huh. they're they're showing these clips of these high school and college age girls who are having police officers and people come to their school and lecture them about turning gay and the fact that they've arrested gay women in the past and and yeah. things like that and this is the kind of environment that they're growing up in and then they find a place Where they think, okay, this is a place where I can be accepted. This Uh is a place where we're going to work together towards change, where women get to stand in solidarity with each other and then have to learn that, no, not you. We don't mean you. You know what I mean? Which is devastating.
1: It's absolutely devastating. And I mean, I do think that Betty Friedan did push away some, you know, lesbian organizations because one of the most noticeable changes after kind of this lavender menace quote that she gave out in the New York Times Magazine was that she dropped the New York chapter of Daughters of Bilitis, which was the Mm -hmm. first lesbian civil and political rights group in the United States from their list of sponsors for the first Congress to unite women that would be held in November of 1969. So that was another really obvious obvious diss to the lesbian community, that they weren't going to be accepting the Mm -hmm. money from the Daughters of Bilitis, which was known as a, and still to this day, it's still running, it's known as a huge lesbian-run organization, and they turned their back on on them, which was even more obvious to the lesbian women within now and the women's liberation community of being like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really this interesting testament
2: to how quickly progress can happen yeah. uh, in a lifetime, because this really wasn't that long ago. No. And a lot of the people, including Dan, but a lot of the other people in now... The other feminists in now, they believed that feminist issues were irrelevant to the majority of women, which, as we know now, sexuality is such a spectrum. Like, it's so yeah. broad. And so to say, you know, like, there's us and there's them and our issues, our separate issues is... Just stupid. I mean, like yeah. looking looking at it from from today's lens, looking at it from a modern lens, like it's it's so stupid to think that those things wouldn't intersect. Like Yeah. Lesbian women or to still think have issues that women
1: face because they're women. Like Exactly. <laughs> to think to think that they're othered because they're attracted to women. Uh, it doesn't doesn't make any sense to me. I almost would think that they would be like the queens of the feminist movement because they have completely disregarded men from their lives. They're all about women, you know? And
2: (laughs) as we will, you know, maybe briefly go over a little bit later, I think they definitely thought that. They were like, why? Like, we so...
1: We strongly, love women. What's the problem? You know. We love women and we advocate for women, you know. What's um, the problem? I mean, I want to talk really quick because in within the creation of now there was a woman named Ivy Bettini who actually designed the logo for NOW and she was openly lesbian and she became the president of the New York chapter of NOW and she introduced lesbian concerns into NOW in 1969 in a public forum called Is Lesbianism a Feminist Issue? And Ivy too would eventually be expelled from her position in NOW for what she's done for trying to bring, you know, lesbian causes to the forefront.
2: Right. I mean, and that's, that's a big thing that we should discuss as well is like, it's not just that these people got discouraged and chose to leave. Oftentimes, they were actively pushed out uh, of the organization. So feminist, lesbian, activist and editor, writer, um, Rita Mae Brown, she was who the we editor. we have to
1: talk more about.
2: She's fantastic. She's Again, Fucking lovely. <laughs> she's amazing. Uh, hot back in the day, let me oh, just say. Oh, God, Ooh. yeah. In the 60s. But she gave an interview, a modern interview in that uh-huh. documentary, and she's just so cool. She's just one of those people who you can tell, like, does not give a fuck. And oh, yeah, everyone.
1: Everyone, Everyone who fuck. knew her would say she doesn't know how to shut up, which I really appreciate And someone. <laughs>
2: yeah, which I feel I do seen. Because those people get shit done. They do. So she was the editor of the Now newsletter. So she, again, very active, very involved, was devoting her life to women's rights. And she was consistently, constantly pointing, pointing out to the leadership at Now that they were treating their lesbian members the way that men treated women. And when exactly. she said that, She got such intense backlash. And I believe that at that point, there was a target on her back after Uh she started becoming so vocal about those issues. And she eventually did get fired from her position as the editor of the Now Newsletter. And I really think that her firing was kind of the catalyst for a lot of people because they looked at Rita May Brown as this person who was leading kind of the lesbian feminist charge within now. And and I think they hoped that she would be able to be the voice that would that would that would break through. Yeah. And when that didn't happen and she was fired instead,
1: people were Pissed, right? Yeah, and a lot of, and that was when a lot of other lesbian women who were part of now quit in solidarity because they were like, we can't, if you're not even gonna let Rita stay, like, then what the fuck are we doing here? Why, what are we doing? And so, that was part of, you know, the reason that they wanted to start the Lavender Menace uh, group. But there was another heterosexual feminist by the name of Susan Brown Miller who mm-hmm. made things even worse. Although I think she was trying to make it better. She really just oh, screwed up. Clumsy. So she was trying to make a joke. And distance herself from Betty's homophobic views, referring to lesbians as perhaps more of a lavender herring than a menace. So, like we said, she was trying to be funny, but it really pissed off Rita and other activists as they saw it as a comment on lesbians' insignificance in the march towards women's rights. Which is how I would see it, too. Like, they're saying, well, maybe they're not as big of a problem as Betty's saying. Right. But they're still... A bother, and they're insignificant, and we're not going to look at those issues. That's still what I see from that too. Well, from what I see is she's
2: trying. To me, what that felt like was that she was trying to appease everybody by yeah, both sides. They're not a threat. Is what she was trying to say is like, they're not a threat to us. Let's just let them do what they do. But yes, to me, that would sound like, oh, let them have their little thing over there. It's not going to be a problem for us. And I'm sure that's not how she meant it. But I certainly would have taken it that way. If somebody were to tell me
1: that I'm not a threat, I'd be like, fucking watch me become a threat. Like, yeah, that I would mean, want me to do even more
2: you know and and they did so after they broke with now there were lesbians from Red Stockings which was a radical feminist group mm-hmm. and lesbians from the Gay Liberation Front who as you said felt isolated within the Gay Liberation Front there was actually a Lavender Menace member named Ellen Shumsky who wrote for Come Out Magazine in the 90s that you know she was very active in the Gay Liberation Front but she felt that so much of the GLF's actions were felt, uh, she felt were focused on the interests and rights of gay men and not right. of women. So they they were kind of excluded from from both, right? Yeah. I feel so similarly with this as I do to black women in the first wave, right? Like they're excluded from the civil rights movement, they're excluded from the women's rights movement and they're left kind of on their own. And that's that's the same thing here. They're excluded yeah. from the gay rights movement, they're excluded from the women's rights movement And they have to figure their own thing out. Yeah, they had
1: to start something themselves. And they saw the second Congress to Unite Women in New York City in 1970 as a great opportunity to make their voices heard. So a lot of radical lesbian feminists banded together and became the lavender menace to fight against this second Congress.
2: (laughs) Yes, and Rita Mae Brown, along with the other founding members of the Lavender Menace, they got together once they had formed their own their own group, and they decided that they needed to write a lesbian feminist position paper because nothing like this had ever been written before. So she, along with the rest of the members, each of them wrote a portion of it, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the first sentence of this paper is now so iconic and so remembered, but no one can remember who contributed that portion of the paper. Yeah. And the paper that they ended up writing was entitled The Woman Identified Woman. And the opening line read A lesbian is the rage of all women condensed to the point of explosion. And it was, I know, it's.
1: That's like a song lyric. I need that mm -hmm. in like a
2: heavy metal song. It's poetry, it really is. And it was a manifesto. The woman identified woman was a manifesto that encouraged readers to rethink their views of lesbians and to work against separating the women's liberation movement by sexual orientation. It was like, Sister Solidarity, there's no reason why we should divide this by who we love or who we sleep with. Right. And it called for lesbians to be incorporated into the women's liberation narrative.
1: It also highlighted that homosexuality and heterosexuality are categories created by a male dominated culture instead. Stated that, quote, in a society in which men do not oppress women, both would disappear. So I don't necessarily know if I believe that, but I I like the idea that they're pointing out the fact that I think a lot of the division that was within now and within the second wave feminist movement was based off of male criticism. You know, the the fear of being yes. seen as man-hating or man-like. Absolutely. I think that, you know, that's the point that they're trying to get across, is that the separation that we're feeling as women because of our sexuality isn't because of us as women. It is about our male-dominated culture that has had us believe that we are separate women from one another. And I think that that's a really great point. Yeah, I mean, and I think another good point to make is
2: we don't know what the Western world would look like if it had not been dominated by a patriarchal society for as long as it was. Like, we don't know. So, like, we can say... It's only this way because of this or it no, it would be the same either way. But the truth is, we don't know because we didn't get to have that. So the fact that gender roles are what they are, I do think in large part is because we grew up in a very patriarchal society and world. And I think that's a really
1: and I think that at the time that was probably like a a very new idea to mm-hmm. to think about and that's what i liked about that because it did make me stop in my in my note taking and kind of have a a sit down with myself and think about what the world would look like if we didn't always have a male dominated society how even the women's movement would be so different oh, if they absolutely. weren't still worried about catering to the
2: absolutely. male population
1: you know it's such a it's such a good thing to think about Um, So to kind of prepare for the Second Congress as well, um, they, you know, got their groups together. They made their Lavender Menace t-shirts. They made tons of signs and they started planning something called a ZAP. Right. And they decided
2: to do this because... After everything they'd done, after the mass exodus from now, uh, and, and they're advocating, they're writing these papers, right? They are trying to bring attention to these issues. They have been very vocal about these issues for a very long time. They were very dismayed to see that there was not a single panel to address homophobia or lesbianism. In the second Congress to unite women and that the majority of its attendees, once again, were straight, white, middle and upper class women and women of color and differing class were also largely excluded. So there was very little intersectionality at all. And so that's when they decided, you know what? We need to take action like we yep. can't sit back and allow this to happen for another year.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to bring up the fact that the protest style of a zap was actually started by, you know, the gay movements as a way to kind of embarrass public figures by making these really kind of raucous and over the top, wow. uh, you know, protests you know wherever Mm -hmm. they were to make it so that they couldn't be ignored and that's exactly what worked so when
2: they got to the second congress they came in looking as though they were part of the crowd right yeah this is one of the most fun things to watch them talk about in the documentary so cool because they're still jazzed about this like all these years later as well they should be i was gonna say
1: it's freaking awesome Uh, totally
2: totally (laughs) they had a friend who was behind the curtain who knew how to run the lights so they had an inside man or woman yeah and part way through the conference the lights went out so everybody's like oh the lights have gone out wow what's happening you know what i mean
1: yeah and there were about 300 women in the auditorium so this was like A huge conference. This wasn't just a few people. This was... was not. A large event, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So
2: at that time when the lights were out, about 40 lesbian organizers got up, removed their blouses, and exposed hand-dyed Lavender Menace t-shirts that they were wearing underneath. They surrounded the audience. They kind of like linked arms, you know surrounded the audience and held signs with phrases like take a lesbian to lunch and super dyke loves you and women's (laughs) liberation is a lesbian plot
1: i (laughs) love that one's my favorite one (laughs) so when the lights came
2: back up you know everybody in the audience is surrounded by these women in varying shades of purple shirts
1: yeah yeah (laughs) you know chanting this stuff and they started, like, handing out the manifestos to everybody in the audience, and uh, I read that one of the organizers by the name of Carla J, who actually wrote a book about this whole event later in life, she says that she stated that she stood up and yelled, "'Yes, yes, sisters, I'm tired of being in the closet because of the women's movement.'" And then the members kind of, like, flooded the stage and took over the microphone. <laughs> yeah, so Rita Mae kind
2: of led the charge. And once they got onto the stage, everybody in the audience they described, but everyone in the audience is kind of shocked at this yeah, point. Yeah, I'm you know? sure they were just, like,
1: dumbfounded, like, what's going on? And, and the organizers were kind of trying to, like, remain order and get things back on track. But there was no way There was no during recovering. this scene that they could recover, you know? Right,
2: right. So they got on the stage and Rita Mae Brown asked the attendees who wants to join us and then the Lavender Menace organizers demanded that issues of lesbianism be put on the agenda at that point and they were put on the agenda. Women started walking up to the microphone and beginning a dialogue with Menace members.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was the craziest part to me because what started out as this ambush and what I feel like was this... Strong exclusion of these women. You know, they forced themselves in there, they made themselves heard, and then all of a sudden, all of these audience members who had come to the Second Congress initially started having real conversations with the Lavender Menace, and it became what I read as a conscious raising session. I can't believe right. that something, like, this worked so well. You know what I mean? Right. Like, there wasn't well, hostility, it was like they were making their point and I think that what probably because it was the organizers that were working so hard to keep the lesbians out that there were mm-hmm. probably a lot of audience members that when they heard this they they were on they were on the side of the lavender menace Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean,
2: it was so interesting to watch these women talk about how this thing, right, lesbianism within the feminist movement, this uh-huh. thing was kind of the worst kept secret. Of, of the feminist movement, they would say that now meetings were the best cruising spot in town. Like that's, oh, where you would, yeah. that's where you would meet people. So a lot of people, regardless of whether or not they were in heterosexual relationships or marriages, had experiences with, you know, had lesbian experiences or right. same sex experiences rather. Because yeah. again, looking at it from a 2021 lens, modern lens, you know, Sexuality is a spectrum. So it's not surprising that so many women had had experiences like this. They just never been given an opportunity to speak openly about their sexuality. And this was kind of the first time that they said, you know what? Lesbian issues are women's issues and we Uh should be allowed to all talk about them Together, and people yeah. got on stage and started discussing their own relationships with lesbianism.
1: The Lavender Menace was asked to stay and give workshops over the weekend and mm-hmm. to continue to discuss their thoughts about how, you know, lesbian rights could be incorporated into the women's movement. And by the end of the assembly, the Lavender Menace proposed a series of pro-lesbian resolutions that were then adopted by the Women's Congress. Like, they were, this was a 100% successful. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, and in addition to that, I mean,
2: part of why we think of this moment as being a turning point within the second wave is not only because of what it did for gay rights within the the women's movement but also uh-huh. because of how inclusive it was at this time and how it opened the door to intersectionality within the feminist movement because women yeah. of color and class workshops also began to spring up at this congress. So yeah, I think I think it as a podcast network our first priority has always
0: been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch
1: really is amazing. You know, we talk about this so much when different minority groups come together and support each other in order to help everybody be seen in movements that have previously been more exclusive. You know, so I appreciate the fact that it wasn't like the lavender menace was all just for themselves. There really was this feeling of, you know, the other activists especially, you know, the activists of color and those who were, you know, of a lower class who felt very excluded by now and the conference and so many other things. You know, this opened a door for them as well and during this event itself to be able to then talk about their own issues that they had within the movement and be heard. Right. So they were able to
2: actually say, you know, we want to be better represented by this movement and Uh by this Congress. And the next Congress actually had so many more workshops because of this. And I loved this quote that came from an anonymous writer from a leftist newspaper. It said, now was so used to dealing with women's liberation from the shelter of their status as educated, secure white privileged women. Suddenly they had to consider why other women hadn't stayed with them, hadn't wanted to play their game. It was the first time. So, We will talk a little bit about some of the issues within the Lavender Menace, right? And some of the ways in which they were kind of exclusive and exclusionary. But Yeah, it did evolve after this. (laughs) Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, it did. But really, I think the point that came out of it was it opened the door to larger conversations about what the feminist movement needed to be and who it needed to include. Because women... Are women, Right. You know what I mean? And it's just like for the women's liberation movement, not to advocate for the liberation of all women was unacceptable.
1: And this is the first thing any, that opened like, that door. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you keep saying, it doesn't make any sense in today's lens not to accept women who are part of the LGBTQ plus community into your your movement it doesn't make any especially sense especially
2: women who are facing additional challenges yes to only accept women who are facing yes challenges of course and not to diminish those challenges right but but the struggle of a white cis hetero middle class upper class woman are different yeah. than the struggles of a lesbian woman or a woman of color or a woman of a differing class like yeah and to yeah. not to not say that like we are here to advocate for the rights of the the person who, who has the least yeah. among us
1: you know is yeah wild I, to me. I blame Betty for Dan. I learned some really interesting stuff about her today I read I read some stuff um, kind of about her whole persona her whole thing was about being this like little housewife at home with the kids, and she felt like she wanted more, but really she's been kind of part of this like leftist movement her whole life. So there are kind of some interesting things about Betty Friedan, uh, some lies she's told, and things like that. But also, you know, for those of you who have watched the FX series, uh, Mrs. America, I highly recommend watching it if you haven't because you do get kind of an understanding of Betty Friedan within this whole movement at the time because she was kind of an older woman and there were some younger women coming into the movement that did want change, but she was seen as like the mother of feminism at the time. She was like so hard to go up against and she really did have a lot of power. I mean, she was in with a lot of high-ranking politicians and things like that. So you wanted to be on Betty's side, even though so many people didn't like her because she did have so much power. The
2: thing is, as well, is that there is always a certain amount of respect that is due to people who birthed a movement, right? Uh Or that you, you see as somebody who birthed a movement. And you want to be able to say, and we will say, or I will say, I won't speak for you, I will say on this podcast, for sure. Like, I think that there's some deference that should be given to Betty Friedan despite her faults and her flaws because she is credited as having kind of kick-started what we know today as the modern feminist movement, right? 100%. There is is a
1: certain amount of, you know, put a little bit of respect on that name. Totally, because the fem, I'm just gonna say really quick, the feminine mystique was, I think, the uh, the gateway to sure. so many women into mm-hmm. the feminist movement and that you can't flawed. disregard what it did. But at the right. same time, you know, it's Betty, flawed. I think, really felt like she was almost losing her place in her own movement at, t- at times because she really was so strong in her convictions and in what she wanted to accomplish of that it was course. hard for you know the glorious Steinem's and the others to come through but I do think that because of her experience you know just from what I've learned about her and from what I've read other people have said about her you know it sounds like there really was that deep respect and that not wanting to really go against her because of that respect but also wanting to put her in her place a little bit. To I be mean, like, look, <laughs> you aren't the end-all be-all and the feminine mystique is not the end-all be-all to feminism. We have to grow from there. I relate it similarly to how
2: you rebel and grow from your parents, right? It's yeah. like, you don't want to disrespect your parents. You always want them to know that, like, hey, or, you know, not in every situation, but... You got us here, you Oftentimes, know? it's like, yeah, look, I, I'm grateful for everything you've done for me, but this is my life and we need to move in this direction yeah and you know the other thing that I wanted to say is suffering is relative right mm-hmm. so I don't want to tell anybody who sure Betty Dan. listen I'm sure especially with the privileges that I am awarded today as a modern woman of the 21st century. I'm sure it was difficult to be a housewife in 1950 who wanted more, regardless of your race or your class. I'm sure that was hard for you, you know, and suffering is relative and you did something about that. But to disregard the experiences of other people or to say that their experiences aren't as valid or important as yours because it's not something that you can relate to is not acceptable either, you know? Yeah,
1: you know, and I also think that probably, you know, while there were, I'm sure, a lot of out women uh, within the feminist movement at this time, I don't think that there were as many out women in general You know, I think that there could have been this ideal, this idea in Betty Fernand's mind, you know, because she was a little bit older at this time, that maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, this wasn't a big enough issue for every woman of the country. You know, oh, well, like she, in her mind, I wonder if there was, if she thought there maybe wasn't enough lesbians to really make a difference. You know, I wonder if because women weren't coming out like they are today, That I'm sure there was an idea that heterosexual women were the majority. And that's why she was focusing on that. Yeah. And I also think that
2: ultimately, the same with the first wave and the way that it excluded women of color specifically, Uh I think ultimately it comes from the perspective of viewing these people as other from yeah. them, right? Yeah. Saying, look, we might have this thing in common being our womanhood, this this thing, our womanhood, we might have that in common, but ultimately you are other from me, and your otherness can be dealt with later. We're gonna deal with the womanness right mm-hmm. now. And the mm-hmm. otherness is separate, and we'll deal with that later without recognizing that women of color, women within the LGBTQ community. Women of differing class, they can't, it's not other to them. Yeah, They cannot yeah. separate out their womanhood from their blackness or from their
1: lesbianness, right? Because they are all of it. They can't separate themselves. All right, yeah. so
2: it's very, and I, I do think we are looking at it from a very modern lens, but it's incredibly narrow-minded to view people as one thing, and not as the whole of who they are. And I think uh-huh. that that's ultimately what people like Betty Friedan were doing. And they may have meant well, right? Because right. like this is also her life's work and she's probably wanting to see it go a certain way. I totally. understand it. But yeah. at some point, you have to allow room for progress and realize that like you are not the be all end all of this movement. It's going yeah. to go on without you. It's going to live on without you. And in order for that, to happen it needs to evolve right? yeah
1: that's the only way it's going to get stronger and that's the o- i mean that's why we've had a third and a fourth wave you know it's because we've continued to evolve and, and find, we'll have a fifth wave it'll right, keep going and to find more reasons and more groups of people that need to be seen and need to be heard um, I want to talk. I have this whole section where I just called it "after the zap" because I I love calling things the zap. I called them the zappers all through my notes too. <laughs> then the zappers sure. went up and did this. Um, so after this protest by the lavender menace, um, they decided that they wanted to kind of create their own group. And there were a few other names that were thrown around, but they eventually decided on the name Radical Lesbians, all one word. Um, And that was their their new movement that they were going to have. And it was formed by Lavender Menace members such as Rita Mae Brown, Lois Hart, Barbara Love, and Ellen Shumsky, as well as others. So the Radical Lesbians really were radical. Uh, They believed in absolute female separatism from men Mm -hmm. and refused to associate with men or women who refused to cut ties with mainstream heterosexual society. So this group was not without its problems. I mean, yes. And props where they're due the
2: lavender menace or as they would come to be known the radical lesbians they were the first group after Stonewall to focus primarily on lesbian issues which is a a big deal
1: it is a big deal and it's important and it
2: is important but not only were they opposed to the participation of heterosexual allies they were also opposed to the participation of gay men and they did not support or allow bisexuals into their into their organization at right. all. they viewed it as working against the cause they didn 't support bisexuality they viewed it as working against the cause which is So ironic, given what they had just experienced within the women's liberation movement. I got to exclude to exclude bisexuals or to exclude other sexualities because you don't deem them as being enough of whatever it is you're going for. Did you not just
1: experience that? It's so bizarre. (laughs) That's what's so crazy to me, because I think this group could have lasted so much longer. I mean, they were really only around for about a year because people who were part of the group who who were bisexual or who weren't willing to cut ties with the men in their lives and things like that were like, no, this is too much. That's not what I wanted. You know, I wanted to be a part of the movement as a whole. Yeah, I didn't Mm -hmm. want to be here to exclude other people. And I think that that was their big downfall. But at the same time, I can understand that that need of banding together and almost not wanting others a part of it, but it is so hypocritical as that was the whole point of their movement to begin with. Yeah, you know? Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I read that part and I was just like, look, I know it's not equivalent to the other situation, but it's it's pretty shitty when you know what it feels like to be on the outside of something yeah. and to be told it's not Real enough and then have somebody kind of and then to say the same thing to somebody else. It's
1: yeah, I I would really be curious to learn more about the thought process of these women during that time and learn more about why they held these views about bisexual women or about gay men or male allies or anything. I mean, I'm sure we can kind of speculate and think about certain things. But yeah, it really you know, whenever you hear about hypocrisy like this, it just when it seems so obvious to us that they're doing the same thing uh, to other groups that the women libera- women's Liberation movement was doing to the lesbians in their group, it really is kind of a glaring obvious thing, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we've talked many times
2: on this podcast about bisexuality and as it is Pride month. I've seen a lot of statuses by my friends who are bisexual. A lot of my friends who are bisexual are in relationships that are heterosexual passing relationships. And there's a lot of discussion around, around bisexuality and people not believing it to be a real thing. And I think yeah. that, that has been a thing for so long long like i i really feel like especially in like the 60s 70s even up until when even up to now but especially yeah. like when we were growing up this was y- y- you watch sex in the city and they straight up say it that like being bisexual is a stop on the way to gay town or whatever right. and, like you're just right. waiting to pick a side and so i think that that is probably part of the mentality here where they were just saying book, you need to choose a side. Are you straight or are you gay? We are not going to allow you to stand in the middle.
1: And I think that for a lot of bisexual women who are still attracted to men, I think that there is this idea of, um, you know, well, if you are attracted to men, just lean into that part of it. You know what I mean? Where Mm -hmm. there isn't that idea of having like we're saying, a a spectrum of feelings or things like that. So it almost, I think for a lot of people, and I'm sure this was something seen by the radical lesbians, was that it's almost a a choice to love both, or it's greedy to Mm -hmm. love both and things like that. So I definitely think that to this day, there is a lot of issues involving... Bisexual visibility and understanding, especially in those that are in straight presenting relationships. And I can understand, you know, I can understand the thought process of where the radical radical lesbians were coming from in misunderstanding bisexuality. I can understand that misunderstanding, but the complete disregard of allowing them to be part of the group when they are still part of your community. They are still attracted to women. I just,
2: I don't think that there was that understanding at all back then. And, you know, it was 1970. I really don't think that there was that kind of understanding. And then also we mentioned earlier that I do think that there was some belief of superiority within Uh this group of like, well... We're the real feminists because yeah. we don't want anything to do with men at all. You know yeah, what I mean? Totally, totally. And so I don't think I think that they wanted to make the rules very, very strict because of that. And part of me kind of understands where they're coming from. I yeah. understand where they're coming from. It just it was not and is not a winning strategy. It's not in cool. any way. <laughs> and it's, it's not, not a okay. okay. it's not. it's not fair. Yeah. So and, well, it didn't and that's work why for them, it didn't, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, that's why I didn't survive. I mean, they they banded together in 1970 for the second Congress, and then by 1971, the radical lesbians fell off because more people disagreed with their strict rules than agreed with them. Which honestly, I think is a really good thing. Yeah, I think I d- agree. in all that that actually moved the movement forward. That there were enough people to see that, like, no, we have to be inclusive. That it's a right. good thing, you know, I that they didn't just stay like, together.
2: I think it's just like any other movement. I, I understand it because, you know, if we were to talk about the civil rights movement and say we're going to talk about Malcolm X, who was very black separatist uh-huh. a lot of the time, uh, at bare minimum, minority separatist, right? Yeah. And I get it because yeah. when you have been oppressed by a group that has been in charge for so long... Same thing here with with the radical lesbians, right? I understand the desire to absolutely extricate yourself from that group to say, we don't want anything to do with you. We're going to go create our own thing.
1: Well, and it's um, validating your it's own valid. identity by doing that. You yeah, know, it's, and, and it's giving your it. identity superiority to yourself, which I can completely understand. Absolutely. It's putting yourself above those who look Beneath you you know what Absolutely. I mean? It's, and I think that that is so important, which is why I'm it's not valid. gonna, I'm not gonna tear down, you know, However, the organization that it became. But we right. cannot, we can't, you know, forget about the, its negatives. But at the same time, I almost think the fact that there were all of those negatives, and it was taken down for the reason that it was, to me shows progress that the group made right well even though it was its own downfall you
2: know right yeah like what I was going to say there is that with as with the civil rights movement as with any movement the ultimate goal should actually be wanting allies like you do want allies you want real allies not performative allies you want real allies who maybe will never understand your experience but want to stand by you and want to move forward with you and want right. to educate others and want to because there is power in numbers and you do want that ultimately like you do like you know yeah and you will fizzle out if if you can't get that and so as a black person i want white allies i want mm-hmm. real white allies who truly like understand
1: yeah, or not that understand, want to understand, understand want to in the understand. best way they can. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, you know, they, the Lavender Menace and the radical feminists er, and the radical lesbians really did make a lasting impact on not just the second wave, but all of the feminist movement because in 1971 now passed a resolution declaring, quote, that a woman's right to her own person includes the right to define and express her own sexuality and to choose her own lifestyle. They also committed to offering legal and moral support in a test case involving child custody rights of lesbian mothers, and the NOW Task Force on Sexuality and Lesbianism was established in 1973. So without the Lavender Menace, without the radical lesbians, NOW wouldn't have opened its arms to all of to all of the other things that they would eventually move on to do throughout the second wave.
2: And the events of the Second Congress to Unite Women and the publication of The Woman Identified Woman are widely remembered as a turning point in second wave feminism and as a founding moment for lesbian feminism. So at yep. the next national conference of NOW in September of 1971, the delegates adopted a resolution recognizing lesbianism and lesbian rights as, quote, a legitimate concern for feminism. So yeah. it really was this kind of benchmark for mm-hmm. everybody to stop, take a breath, recognize that lesbian rights are women's rights and yeah. they should be included as such. You know?
1: Exactly, exactly.
2: Ugh. And in... In 1999, Susan Brown Miller uh-huh. described the impact by writing that quote, lesbians would be silent no longer in the women's movement. And then Carla Jay, who was one of the founding members of the, Lavender Men- uh, of the Lavender Menace, described it in her memoirs as quote, the single most important action organized by lesbians who wanted the women's movement to acknowledge our presence and needs. And she said that it completely reshaped the relationship of lesbian to feminism for years to come. So... It's true. And I loved, she had this anecdote. So I read this really awesome article from them.us.
1: Yes, I read that as well. Do you follow them on Instagram? Because No, great. but
2: I should because this article was lovely. They it was post, very good.
1: They post a lot of really great stuff. If you don't follow them, I highly recommend following at them on Instagram. Okay, I,
2: I definitely will. And I will link this article in our show notes. It was a
1: great one. I agree. It was great.
2: So she wrote that she remembers running into Betty Friedan years (laughs) later at an event. And that Betty Friedan pointed a finger at her and said how much trouble that she and her menace cohorts had caused her. And that Carla just laughed and said, no, Betty, you caused yourself trouble. Get over it.
1: Hell yeah, <laughs> she did. Hell yeah, she did. She caused all that trouble on herself. And the fact that Betty, I mean, I don't know if Betty Friedan was like poking fun at her and like just trying to kind of, you Probably know, just teasing her a little bit. I mean, it but, sounds like yeah. it was a friendly jab. Yeah. You know, I don't think that there was anything, like, evil. There was no malintent in what she said. But I love the fact that Carla was still able to be like, no, no, no. You brought this on yourself by calling us the Lavender Menace to begin with. Like, right. all Honestly, of this happened because of you. So You could have you. avoided
2: all of this if you had just, from the get, been like, you know what? You're right. Let's include yep. you in our shit, you know? Yeah.
1: Uh, well, I highly recommend if our listeners have not watched Mrs. America yet from FX. Uh, it's mostly about Phyllis Schlafly, who I did an episode Ugh, back in October during the Bad Girl series. If you haven't listened to that, I put a t- I put a shit ton of work into that episode in particular. <laughs> Go and listen to it. I spent way too long on She's that one, worst. but um, it but Mrs. America is such a great show, and it really does tell the story of second wave feminism in such a great way. And this is a really big topic within the series as well. And they show, you know, women's conventions with lesbians making, you know, different protests and political statements and how all of this came about. So if you're looking for more of, you know, a visual representation of all of that, I highly recommend watching that show. It's so good. And I recommend, once again, She's Beautiful When
2: She's Angry. It's on...
1: YouTube now for free Uh
2: so you have no excuse you can go to YouTube the entire thing is on there for free it is so
1: good it is really a fantastic documentary Mm -hmm. and I watched it much later than you did you had recommended a few times there was one day where I was just scrolling through trying to find a documentary to watch and I saw it and I was like I'm gonna do it and I wasn't let down. I it's was one of the best documentaries about feminism. Yeah,
2: feminism—the broad topic that I have watched. So yeah, I mean yeah. they have
1: so many people that they talk to. Mm-hmm. It's it's really a fantastic documentary. So, oh, all right. Well, I hope that you all enjoyed our first episode of Pride Month. Like I said, we're going to be giving you some great Pride content all through the month of June and we are going to be ending the month of June with our coming out episode and so that episode is going to be coming out on June 28th. We would love to have all of your stories into us please by June 23rd so we can have all of them with us ready for recording. And just a reminder, when you send us your stories, if you would like to remain anonymous, we will 100% protect your identity. Just let us know somewhere within your message that you would like to remain anonymous, and we will honor that. But please, please, please send us your stories to make it a fantastic episode. You can email us at neighborhoodfeminist@gmail.com at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. Go on ahead to our Facebook group page to chat with the other listeners and go to the facebook business page to like us and leave a review and if you love us and you want other people to find our show the best way for you to do that is to leave us a five-star review and to write a quick sentence about why you love us and one we will be eternally grateful and two we will post your review on our instagram for reviews day tuesday all right that's all we've got for you today with all of that being said we encourage you
0: Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler free so first time viewers can listen along
2: safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? (laughs) Your search is at an (laughs) end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy or
0: if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.